We're going to turn to God's word. Let's turn to God's word. Ex- sorry, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 4. Quite a familiar story, I think you'll agree. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 to verse 9, we'll do this for this morning. Let's open God's word. Let's read God's word. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, you won't, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Amen. And God will bless him. Sure, his word to all of our hearts. To his name be the praise and the glory. Let's just bow in a moment's prayer, shall we? Lord, we want to thank you for the teaching of the word of God that instructs us and guides us and has so many important lessons to teach us. And we pray that the story of Cain and Abel might really get into our hearts and minds and really build us up in our faith and give us a fresh understanding of what you require from each one of us. Lord, forgive us our sin and help us to come before you with clean hearts, with a a right spirit, that we might be able to recognize the work of your spirit in each of our lives. We thank you for this fellowship, for those who have gathered today, and we ask you, Lord, to have your way with each one of us. To you be the praise and to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to share with you something about the story of Cain and Abel. It's many, many years since I've looked at this story. I can't even remember when it was. So it was quite an education to get into the word of God and to look at the whole thing in a fresh way. But there's a lot of teaching and a lot of help here. One of the important things is there's life beyond the garden. I sometimes wonder about that in our house. Is there life beyond the garden? (laughs) After the story of Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 4 is really telling us that although creation has been marred by sin, that God isn't finished with his creation. And he wants to do a tremendous work there in terms of renewal and restoration. He won't accept, God will not accept 
the devil thwarting his purposes for his creation. No matter how marred that image might be of God in each of our lives, he still wants to restore, he still wants to renew, and he will not see the devil thwarting his purposes in your life and also in mine. And of course in Genesis chapter 4 we're turning here to the second generation. And we see a picture here of life after Eden. It's the scene for humanity that we see here. And the way that we can see in our world. And we can even see it in our own lives. And we have to accept the fact that there's something of Abel and Cain in each one of us. That we have to examine ourselves afresh. Because what we find in the word of God. In all the stories of the word of God. Is something that can be evident in each one of them. We have to decide which we are going to be. In our own hearts and minds. But on the positive side there is this beginning of community life. Because Cain is the first one to build a city. The city of Nantes. That's what I've been doing a lot in churches, having a bit of a nod. I don't know why, but anyway, that sometimes happens. But here is the city of Nodham. And what we have here is the building of a community. It's no longer just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, but there's the building here of a community. And one of the wonderful things that we find about this story is that it's meant to be a community of worship. That somehow... Even in this marred area of the image of God, that somehow there's a spiritual longing in the heart of Cain and Abel that we see here that speaks of the need to worship. And we want to ask ourselves the question, why are we here today? We're not here because, well, we'd better be here to show face or anything like that. But that wee song that we sang, Here Am I to Worship. And there's something of that longing for worship in the heart of Cain and Abel that means that they're going to bring an offering before the Lord. And we're conscious of that spiritual need in our own lives. And this is illustrated in these two brothers, Cain and Abel, who present this truth in their contrasting personalities. Let's see what we can learn from these personalities that we have in Cain and Abel. Two brothers, but so different, aren't they? Brought up by the same parents. But so different in their eyes. Let's just read verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth the man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And even in these words, in verses 1 and 2, we're finding something about Eve. That Eve is recognising that our existence comes from God. That he is the author of life. That existence belongs to him. We can thank God that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully meant. And Eve seems to be making that point in the statement that she's making. But there's something else that might be here. It's, maybe it's mere speculation. You don't have to take this on board if you don't want to. But there's maybe it's, there's, some people speculate that even in the fact that she says, I have been given this man from the Lord. The Lord has helped me to have this man. Is it possible that Eve may have thought 
that Cain was going to be the one to destroy the enemy prophesied in chapter 3 of Genesis is it possible that she thought this was the man the Lord had provided who was going to bruise the devil and put the end to the enemy as it were what is so interesting that she speaks about this man from the Lord concerning Cain but there's nothing said about Abel Regarding the description of the birth of Abel, it doesn't say that she saw this as another man sent from the Lord. There might just even be some kind of friction in terms of the parents' pride in the first child and not so much in the second child. I don't really know, but there could have been something generated in the heart of Cain in terms of pride, in terms of seeing himself well looked after. He's the first in the family. He's the first born and perhaps I don't really know but something was festering there in the heart of Cain is it possible he was angry that the parents had been kicked out of the garden and been denied all the joys and blessings that God had and, and by the sweat of the brow he was going to till the ground because he was going to enter into his father's occupation by the tilling of the ground it was going to be by the sweat of the blood because of their sinfulness but the wonderful thing is that we as individuals are unique and that's true about families as well I've been, I've been actually uh, recording the old series All Creatures Great and Small I really enjoy that and the last one that I saw was about the son taken over from the father in a farm that can be real friction the father gets to that stage, you know, where he's ready for retirement. But he's not going to retire, really. He's going to tell the son exactly what to do. And the son has got different ideas in mind. And that can happen in family life. That, that the father and mother expects the son or the sons to go a certain way. And that doesn't really happen. That can cause terrible friction in a family. But each person is unique. And that's true about the personalities of Cain and Abel. And what we find is, although the children were brought up in the same home, under absolutely identical circumstances, with the same background and the same teaching perhaps concerning God, and yet their lives turned out so differently, and Jesus prophesied that. He said, there'll be two in a field, and one will be taken, and the other left. There'll be two in bed and one will be taken and the other left. And it's possible there could be two in church and one be taken and the other <coughs> left. It doesn't mean to say that everybody is going to travel the same round. And that's how it was with Cain and Abel. One was accepted and the other was rejected. Both were religious and both of them brought their offerings to God. Cain was into the crops while Abel was into the animal farming. And already the pattern of social life is beginning to emerge here. Whether it's agriculture or whether it's animal farming, we see it. But the trouble lies when we fail to work together as a community. 
when we resent what other people may have we cease to act as neighbours having mutual respect for one another and it's then that destructive forces come in and the devil is given a foothold in their lives when that community life that worshipping community doesn't seem to work together and you know as well as I do there are many churches where that is the case where the worshipping community is not working together but here is this part of the story that really puzzles us and it's puzzled many commentators for years and years why was it that God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's because these two brothers are basically bringing the fruit if you like of their occupations one was into animal farming so he brings a lamb one was into crops and so he brings the fruits of the harvest to the Lord why is it that God accepted one and didn't accept the other and the old explanation is because Adam and Eve recognized they were naked they killed animals and got their skins to clothe themselves blood would be shed and because Adam and Eve clothed themselves with these animal skins then the blood of animals being shed that Abel's sacrifice or offering to the Lord of a lamb whose blood would be shed was the right one and Cain's wasn't I don't like that I don't accept that interpretation but you can disagree with me if you like it's, uh, it's, your, <laughs> it's your call you can disagree <coughs> But I think the answer to the whole thing, let's just read these scriptures in 3 and 5. I think it's in these verses, in verses 3 and 5 of Genesis chapter 4. In course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. And so Cain was angry and his face was downcast. And I believe the answer to this whole difficulty lies in verse 3. Because the difference, I believe, is not in the fact that Cain did not bring a lamb. He was not into animal farm. He brought the produce of his business, as it were. The thing that he was involved in. And Abel brought the produce of what he was involved in, namely animal farm. And it says in verse 3, in the course of time, that's a vague period of time, but in the course of time they brought these offerings before the Lord. And it may be there was some kind of thing established by Adam and Eve regarding a time when they would bring these offerings before the Lord. But if you look at verse 3, you discover something important here. It says in verse 3, In the course of time, God brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And verse 4 rather, But Abel brought fat portions from, from of the firstborn of his flock. That to me is the important bit. The Abel brought fat portions of the firstborn of the flock. And by fat, we don't mean fat. We mean lean. <laughs> he bought, he brought the best of the best. 
The firstborn was coming before the Lord as something that was consecrated, something that was costly. And we're not dealing here with brothers who are bringing offerings because of their sin. The sacrificial system hadn't even started then. And the word for offering is the Hebrew word mina, M-I-N-H-A. And that word is used of offerings that may not be blood offerings. Offerings brought with flour and oil and, and mixed with frankincense or offerings of wheat. And there's plenty of offerings that the Lord will receive that are not blood offerings. They come as part of their worship to the Lord. We're not talking about sin sacrifices that come much later, Leviticus and Numbers, during the time of Moses, as it were. And the difference between Cain and Abel is not, I believe, as we have heard, that one brings a blood offering and one doesn't. It's in the actual sacrifice being, in Abel's case, the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. Now we're not told in the scriptures that Cain brought the firstfruits. We're not told that Cain brought the best of the best. That there was some kind of sacrifice involved. That there was some kind of consecration involved. There was something really special about that offering. We're not told that. We're just told that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And I think the answer lies in that verse 4 of Abel's offering. The fat portions of the firstborn. The firstborn would be a sacrifice. The lean portions would be to give away to the Lord the best of the best. And the truth is, that's what the Lord requires of you and me. The best of the best. You see, when it came to the widow's might that Jesus talks about, or the Bible talks about, it wasn't so much what she had given compared with the great offering of the Pharisees or the rest who were putting money into the collection plate. It was what was left after the offering was given. She gave, Jesus said, everything that she had. Everything that she had. For these others who might have given more than the two mites or a mite had plenty left over. And sometimes we have to re-examine our offering to the Lord. The offering of ourselves and the offering of our gifts to the Lord. Sometimes there's a, diff there's a time for re-examining these things. And it may even be we need to review that ourselves this morning. How much of ourselves do we give to the Lord? How much do we keep back? There's that we song in majesty that we sang about giving our all to the Lord. It's our all that the Lord wants. Nothing held back. And when it comes to the tithes and the offerings, 
What are we giving to the Lord? Is it after everything else has been sorted out and we've indulged ourselves and if there's anything left over we'll give it to the Lord. The Bible talks about the tithes and the offerings to bring them into the storehouse and God will open that window of blessing and pour it a blessing upon us such that we're not able to receive it. There'll be so much blessing as we bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse. God comes first. He comes first in the offering of ourselves, in the offering of our tithes and our offerings. The fact is the Abel's offering, it was costly. It was sacrificial. It was consecrated. He gave the best of the best. But Cain is not bringing the first fruits of the harvest as far as I can see in the scriptures. He's not bringing anything costly as such as a firstborn lamb would be. There's no indication that he brought the best of the best. It might even have been Brussels sprouts for all I know. What a terrible offering to bring it <laughs> Unless you like Brussels sprouts. So I don't see the Abel's more acceptable offering, as it says in Hebrews, is because it was a lamb that had been killed and its blood had been shed. I see it more in the fact it was the fat portion of the firstborn, the best of the best. And that's what the Lord requires of us. That's the first reason that Abel's offering, I think, was acceptable to God. But there's a more profound reason why this offering of a lamb was acceptable to God. And why Cain's harvest offering didn't find favour. And the second reason is the attitude of those who were bringing their offering to the Lord. The attitude of Abel compared with that of Cain. It might be found in the fact, of course, that Abel did bring the best of the best. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, listen to these words. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. The Bible calls that faith. It's by faith that Abel offers a more acceptable offering than Cain's. It doesn't say there, it is by the offering of blood that Abel's offering is more acceptable. This says in the scripture, by faith it's more acceptable. The Bible calls that faith. And so in a sense it wouldn't matter if Cain had brought a lamb that had been slain before the because his attitude was all wrong. It wouldn't have mattered if he had brought some kind of animal sacrifice. His heart was full of anger and hatred against his brother. That might even have been before this time of bringing the offer. I don't really know. Acceptable sacrifices have to do with the attitude of the worshipper. The word of God makes that abundantly clear. It says in the scriptures that the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit, a contrite heart that God will not despise. Psalm 51 and verse 17. And that's what Abel had and Cain didn't have. 
And that's why it's written, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not regard for Cain and his offering. Our offerings of worship, prayer and service are acceptable to God only if they are given with that contrite and humble heart and spirit. And we find that in the word of God again and again. From the days of Cain and Abel right up until today. It's your heart that's more important than even the offering that you bring. Remember that story of Samuel and Saul. That Saul had, had sacrificed. And he shouldn't have done a sacrificial service at all. Samuel says, you wait until I come. But Saul couldn't wait. He thought Samuel wasn't coming. What does Samuel say to Saul? He says this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command in your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said, I'm not coming back with you. Faith is that helpless dependence upon the Lord. And it was by faith that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Therefore Abel's gifts were acceptable to God. And it's only the humble heart who can shout out with Paul, If God be for us, who can be against us? Faith can shout that out. Because God is only on the side of the humble. God resists the pride, the proud of heart. He resists that pride in our own hearts. The proud cannot say that for God is against them. Anyone who has high thoughts concerning himself as Cain had will end up as Cain did. Even if he claims the blood of some sacrifice. So there's two things to learn here. It's a matter of faith. And it's a matter of attitude. And the third point I want to share briefly is, it's a matter of consequences. Where the whole thing is going to lead. This time, it's a matter of consequences. Cain was jealous and angry with Abel and with God, because it had gone so well for Abel. God had accepted him. It had gone so well. Do you ever resent... When something goes, goes so well, for maybe a brother or sister in your family, or somebody else that you know. David had that feeling. Remember David in one of the Psalms? Psalm 70-something, I can't remember the exact number. And he talks about those, the wicked, and they're having a good time of it. They're not ill. They haven't got cancer. Things are going really well for them. Lord, why is it that the wicked are having such a good time and I'm being hunted down and I'm having a terrible time? And then it says in the word of God, Then I went into the sanctuary and I understood their end. 
And sometimes we can get envious and we can be jealous of other people whose health is better than ours and they're going well and they're living long and they're doing well and we can get this feeling and they're like, Lord, why am I not like them in terms of they're having such a good time? They're doing so many things. But you know, that's not the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of Cain. Let me read verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said of Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin was crouching at the door of Cain's heart. When God sought to warn him, sin wasn't a hundred miles away from Cain. It was right at his heart's door. It was right at his heart's door. We get that picture in our minds, don't we, of Jesus standing at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone humble himself and open up the door, I will come in and he will sup with him and he with me. Jesus standing at the door. It's actually the door of the church, by the way. But be that as it may, it's the door. It's, you think of Jesus standing at the door. But here is sin crouching at the door. Here is sin. And the Bible says that although we have to invite Jesus into our hearts, you can invite sin into your heart as well, it says. It's crushing your desire to have, you must master it. You can invite sin into your heart, or you can invite Jesus into your heart. Somebody said this, that Satan in Genesis chapter 3 is a serpent that deceives. But here in chapter 4, he's a lion that devours. Like a lion, it's crouching at the door, waiting to pounce. And you can accept him into your heart, or you can desist him. Sin is waiting to pounce, and God says, you have to master that enemy of sin. And so Cain's judgment is clouded. Instead of asking God's forgiveness, he begins to invent a plan, a plan to murder his brother. The first murderer in the Bible is Cain. He plans the place. He plans the time. Who knows, he maybe even planned what kind of grave it was going to be. Maybe he dug the grave for all I know. And here is, he invites Abel into the field and Abel suspects nothing. He goes with his brother. And because Cain is a tiller of the ground, he would have real big muscles. And he was able to overpower Abel and to kill him. He became the first murderer. Maybe that's why the Bible said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The anger can be a terrible thing. You know what it says in the scriptures about anger? It says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. You're a fool if you allow anger to overtake you. It says in James 1 and verse 90, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It says in Matthew 25, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the judgment. It says in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. How do you overcome it? 
Bible says two things. One is meekness. It says a soft answer turns away wrath. Meekness. Another thing the Bible says is wisdom. It says in Proverbs 29 and verse 8, Mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. It's the mockers that stir up a city to anger. But wise men turn away anger. And the amazing thing here is that God is willing to confront Cain. He confronts him about and warns him about his sin. If he he does what is right, he will be accepted. If he doesn't do what is right, he will not be accepted. God loves us so much and he wants us to confront us about our sin. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is God saying about the sin in your life? What's God saying about the sin in my life since we last met? What is he showing up that needs to be cleansed and forgiven? The Bible says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith in the one who won the victory of the cross. It's interesting that C.S. Lewis wrote a book about screwtape letters. Remember that book? It's the words of a senior devil to a younger devil about how to trip up Christians. How to get them to sin. And it says in this book, Religion shall send us the truly delicious sins. The fine flower of unholiness can grow only in the close neighbourhood of the holy. Nowhere do we tempt more successfully as on the very steps of the altar. In other words, the closer people get to the holy life and the closer they get to the offering to the place of sacrifice, how the enemy can get right in there and bring us down. That's the senior devil to the junior devil in C.S. Lewis. Any pretense of brotherly love that Cain had for his brother, it was swept away by a fit of jealousy came over him. Cain didn't master the wild beast in his heart. It came to devour him and resentment and jealousy turned to deceit. And Cain said to Abel, let's go to the field. And he killed him. And there were no human witnesses there, but God saw it. And the Bible says that God looked on the innocence of Abel. And what Cain had actually done got right through to God. The foul deed was seen by God. And so God says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And Cain says, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And God is saying to us, yes you are. Yes you are Cain. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. We have to look out for each other. You have to look out for each other, whether a brother or sister. That was Cain's reaction. But what about Abel? It says in the Bible that he was dead physically, but alive in the spirit. Jesus confirmed himself that evil was, Abel was numbered with the martyred prophets of Israel. In Matthew 23 and 15, Jesus says that Abel was numbered with the martyred prophets of Israel. And the writer to the Hebrews states, and by faith he still speaks. What does the story of Abel speak to us about? 
It speaks to us of the perspective on life. It speaks to us of the motivation of worship. It speaks to us of the sacrifice offered. Abel's attitude to life and possessions and and commitment to God in worship speaks volumes to us. There was nothing that was too precious to keep for himself and not to offer to the Lord as an act of worship. The fat of the firstborn, the best of the best. Another verse in Hebrews says that he still speaks more clearly about something else. That the blood of Abel speaks more clearly. It says in Hebrews 12.24 of the sprinkled blood of Jesus. You see the comparison there is not the blood sacrifice that Abel brought. The comparison there is about Abel's blood speaks even more clearly of the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. In summary then, it's a matter of faith. The best of the best, the fat of the firstborn. It's a matter of attitude, a humble and contrite heart. God will not despise. It's a matter of consequences. Where sin is crouching at the door, becomes the sin of the heart and who knows where that will lead who knows where the sin crouching at the door becomes the sin of the heart who knows where that is going to lead we need the cleansing blood of Jesus what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus Let's pray. Lord, just bless your word to us. And help us to realise as we bring our offering of our lives and our gifts to you. It's the offering of our hearts in worship. It's faith that's so important. It's attitude that's so important. And it's where we put sin. May it be outside of the door and not within the door of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.